All right, everybody, here we go. Y'all ready for the word? Yeah. We're going to start. Um, I have, I have a, just a boatload of things I want to share. And um, as troubling as our times are, the word of God is that much more comforting. And um, God is speaking to us. And if I could, I would preach this week's sermon and next week's right now. I can't. Um, who said that? <laughs> Enoch. It takes a guy like, with a name like Enoch to say do it. <laughs> who is single. And doesn't have wife and kids to get to lunch. Don't tempt me, Enoch. Um, we have two verses of scripture that have become for us um, a word from the Lord for us as a church for 2021. And each year, the beginning of the year, the Lord gives us a word. We don't like go looking for it and Google to find something cool to have as a theme. The Lord gives it to us. He gave it to me in November of last year for this year. And every year we see as the year goes along why God spoke to us about that. And I want to encourage everybody in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, get whatever version you do and um, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your screensaver. I want this before you, like in the book of Deuteronomy. When you go out, I want it on the back of your hand, on your visor, wherever, your screensaver. And Paul says this. In fact, I would encourage everybody throughout the year, stay in the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters. It's some of the most practical teaching from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. These two, ver these two verses of what the Lord gave us for 2021. It says, in him, who is him? Christ is the cornerstone right before this in verse 20. In Christ, the whole building, who's the building? All of us built on the, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus as the cornerstone. In Jesus, all of us are joined together and we rise or grow to become a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for, for him to live. In the earth, in the nation, God is present where churches have been built on the foundation of the apostles' teaching, the prophets' words, and Jesus, that intimate connection with Jesus, intimate relationship with Jesus. We become the place like the Holy of Holies where the Most High dwells. Verse 22 says, and then he makes it personal, and in him, you too, individually, are being built together collectively as a church family to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. How many of you would agree if ever in our lifetime we need churches to be the place where God dwells, where he truly, there is evidence that he's real, he's alive, He's a God of love and transforming grace. If ever we needed that, we need that now. Now, as a review, if you weren't here last week, I spoke about a term called liminality. Liminality is a threshold experience. It is composed of any or a combination of all these things, danger, marginality, disorientation, or ordeal. And it tends to create a space that is neither here nor there. It's a transitional stage between what was and what is to come. Now I wanna add something to it as we look at this principle in scripture. Liminality is neither being here nor there, but you can't stay here in liminality. Here you will die. So you have to move out not knowing exactly all the details about where you're being led by the Father. And so you have to embrace things like risk, courage, like they're not optional. Faith, understand journey. And that's what a liminal experience is. 
And I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. Oh, God, I forgot that book. I'm sorry, honey. You hand that to me. Many of you have asked, and I, I think it was posted in some of the comments last week. It's a, uh, one of the greatest books I've ever read by one of my favorite Christian authors. It's actually two men, missiologists from Australia, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch. And this book is called The Faith of a Leap. came out about 10 years ago. And um, people, when they heard me say it last week, they're like, did you mean to say leap of faith? And I'm like, no. The title is actually The Faith of a Leap. The subtitle is Embracing a Theology of Risk, Adventure, and Courage. So liminal places are places just by nature of being in transition. They're places of discomfort and agitation. And they require you to push into what is to come. You can't be neutral. You have to keep moving. The faith of leap and that liminality chapter is followed by a chapter called communitas. Liminality involves adventure, risk, journey, engagement, and it requires faith. And when you're in a liminal season, when liminality happens, please hear me. When you're in a liminal season with other people, that season fundamentally restructures the, the nature of pre-existing relationships. I want to say it again. When you're in a liminal season with someone, the nature of that fundamentally restructures the nature of pre-existing relationships. Friendships turn into deeper, richer connections that are hard to put into words. The word communitas comes from this book, and we'll talk more about it in a second. Being immersed in communitas, participants experience almost a a mythical togetherness that occurs only among a group of people engaging in a task that is bigger than itself. Keep in mind, there is a direct link between liminality and communitas. Liminality produces communitas, real connection. Now, the term in this book, communitas and liminality, come from an anthropologist named Victor Turner. Victor Turner studied human uh, social mores, cultural practices, specifically, listen, rites of passage. How in many different cultures, young men or young boys became young men and how little girls mature into adulthood. One of the great studies that this whole concept is based on is a tribe in Southern Africa, the Ndimbu tribe. And they noticed that this was one of the most highly functional groups of people in any culture, third world, first world. They were together, unified. They were unselfish. There was just remarkable maturity and unity and life on this tribe. And so they drilled down. And what they discovered was, please listen to this. The young men, boys, would live in the village with, mother, with the women while the men were out doing what men do. They were providing and protecting the tribe. And boys would stay with the women until they were 12 years old. And then at some point, they would sneak in, the men would, and, quote, kidnap the 12-year-old boys, rough them up a little bit, blindfold them, and they would take them into the jungle as a group, circumcise them, and leave them for six months. And the men would come back and visit once a month to debrief. And the men would spy to kind of make sure that the boys were progressing and protected from the jungle. 
And what they discovered was after that six-month season, those 12-year-old boys became men. And in it, there were several things that they, that they discovered, that the boys would move from being disoriented and individualistic to developing a deep bond of comradeship forged in the testing conditions of liminality. The initiates, the, initiates, the young boys, achieve a release of conformity to general norms, and they experience a profound experience of connection with oneself, with others, and the way the universe works. And how the universe works is when I'm mature and can interact with the other people in the universe, life is better. On and on and on, there's other examples that we talk about where people experience communitas. Football teams experience it. You practice all summer. You work out all winter. You go through 10, 11, 12 games. And when the season's over, most high school boys are tearing up, not because the season's over, but because they're going to miss each other and what they've experienced is special. Communitas, the Bible word, is koinonia. Skydivers experience it. There's a lot written about people that jump out of planes together. War veterans experience it. Foxhole buddies and families can experience communitas. And I will say that the church that Jesus built was designed to experience this form of togetherness, not just for the sake of love and fellowship, but because we have, please hear me, a liminal mission that requires more than fellowship. Like, God bless you, how you doing, Al, good to see you. All that surface stuff. When the church is truly on her mission, we are going against the stream. I could go on and on, but I think everybody gets it. When the church is on her mission, the culture is antagonistic to this mission. We're trying to sell or convince people they need something that they don't want. And only when the Holy Spirit moves on them and opens their eyes are they ready. And we will forever be neither here nor there until we get there. And in this life, the church and Christians must learn how to live in the liminal. And to do that, you will only survive the liminal seasons which are unending when you are mystically together with other people on the same mission. Now, instead of being damaging to social structures, regular experiences of liminality that bring about communitas, liminal communitas, one coin, two sides. And instead of that disrupting social structures, it actually serves to strengthen society. While societies need the stability of normal life, societies also need liminality and communitas. I, I won't digress much, but let me just say, this is one of the problems when the breakdown of the family. This is one of the problems. The breakdown of the family, if I'm raised in a, a broken family, chances are great that I'm not going to have the skills to get along intimately like life requires with other people. And therefore, I'm set up for struggle. And this is why gangs, this is why street kids, they don't have an option. They're wired for connection, for communitas. This is much of what drives many gender issues, a, a craving for connection with other people. Now, 
Simply being alone can make one, please hear me, make us feel vulnerable. Being alone can make it difficult to put fear and danger into, pers into correct perspective when you're in a liminal season. Without the presence of others to balance our perspective, to strengthen or resolve and to share our risk, living courageously can feel like a daunting task when you're all alone, which is what most of us most often feel. The qualities that we need to be good are shaped by sharing a life together with other good people who help us become good people. Modeling's the most powerful way to learn. Now, virtues are learned by being with others who embody virtues, whether they're good or bad. We learn to be virtuous by seeing virtuous people act in virtuous ways. And lacking the community in which virtues are being sought and lived, one would be hard-pressed to develop any of the virtues, including especially virtues like courage and the embracing of risk and faith. Now, I, I think a lot about this. Candace and I have seven children, and I was raised, there were four of us growing up, and I'm an old youth pastor, and, and I'm, I've always thought about how do people change? Even as a kid, my mind in church, I drew some conclusions. I'm just going to share my heart with you. You know, I, like Christians growing up, you don't change. Seldom does a person move from immaturity to maturity. It just doesn't happen as much as it seems like it should and like it's available to us. And there's, there's reasons, I believe. We're not connected. And like, let's just say I have this, or let's just say in this church, let's say this church is perfectly healthy. Like everybody here is just really solid people. And an unhealthy person comes in. That unhealthy person has a choice. And so does the church. Either the unhealthy person will come in and bring dysfunction that makes the church less than healthy, or the person comes in and in connectivity, communitas, becomes healthier. But the way the enemy works, and let's say that was actually not a great um, analogy. Let's say there's me, let's say there's a small group of eight of us. And a couple comes in or one person comes in and they're just not functional. They don't have the virtues that they needed to get as a child or whatever. Now that group is either going to accommodate and, and become less functional or that person will, be, will grow, be stretched, liminality, experience communitas. And there's a lot about koinonia, love, grace, teaching, stretching. And that person will have a choice. And here's what Satan normally does. Normally, the group does not become dysfunctional. Normally, Satan dupes the person who's not highly functional or wounded. And he gives them a reason why they don't like that group. And it's usually the root of it is shame, which the real root is rejection. And so... They don't get what God has designed for them to receive. And it stretches the group to, to be more focused on communitas, like building the family of God, the church, loving people that are not lovable, giving them grace, walking with them, standing with them, contending for them, doing everything you can to prove that you truly love them. Anybody ever had a, been in a relationship like that? You truly love someone that they don't want your love anymore because they're having to deal with their own stuff. Now, growing up in our family, mom and dad, we pastored, we had small churches, mostly in small towns in Virginia. And um, it shaped us. Like, this is no joke. 
We learn to pray because of car trouble as children. I'm not, I'm not joking. I can remember places on Route 11 between Radford and Dublin, Virginia, where God did a miracle in our little Ford Maverick. I, I can remember snowstorms that it, as an eight-year-old boy, you're focused. It is liminal. And you're praying. And God moves. I remember in coal mine towns, there are not a lot of heavyweight tithers. I can remember the church parsonage where the senior pastor lived and his children the electricity got cut off in the winter. And the liminality and communitas developed. In fourth grade, in fourth grade, nine years old, I had a paper route in the mountains of Virginia with snow that I inherited from my two older sisters who showed me the ropes. And when it snowed, they would lend a hand because they, they had been there. Communitas. Liminality. Two weeks ago, one of my older sister's husband spoke for me when I was at home sick. And she just, I didn't discover this for a couple days because I was sick. And, and when I came in, in my office, there was a little post-it on my desk and it said this. Chuck, always proud to be your sister, Ron. I walked into the bathroom, my, my bathroom, my office, and I find this, Brother Chuck, enjoy being in your house with your people today. God is good. And I, I, I know not everybody has that. But let me tell you something. That was forged growing up in a house with six people in ministry living beneath the poverty level. And I wouldn't take anything for that liminal season. We didn't even know we were poor. Everybody was poor. We just knew we loved Jesus and we loved each other. Um, most of us haven't had connection like that or it's been a long time. Most of us haven't been up close to a truly courageous person because the church has very few. The church in America has modeled a safe, secure, less than robust faith. Our faith is, is inward and individual and we don't like the high maintenance of relationships. And our focus is mostly about self-preservation, not mission. It is in community with others, though, that we learn, that we are to learn and develop the skills to make it through liminal seasons. Um, speaking of family, these are just things that just pop in my mind. I just I feel such a, a fresh anointing of what God's saying right now. Candace and I had just gotten married here in 1993. And I was a youth pastor here at this church. And, and as my wife, we, were, we had some sense of communitas. Hence the seven children. And, <laughs> and she says to me one night after youth group, she said, more people need to hear what you're saying. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I, I don't know. I just know that more people need to hear what you're saying. Long story short, God began to speak through other people and the Lord began to call me out from the staff position here. We stayed here at the church for a while and to launch an evangelism ministry focused on the next generation. And I can remember praying up to that. I'm newly married. We had two children. And the Lord said, I'm calling you to do that, to resign. And I said, okay, Lord, if you'll give me some signs that we're going to make it. I didn't even know what I was asking for. Like, but I was basically saying, Lord, if you'll give me security, 
I'll resign and risk the next phase. And the Lord said this to me. I've told this story all over the country. The Lord said this to me. When you resign, I'll show you the sign. <laughs> Pastor mine can probably, this is back before cell phones and we had car phones back then. Everybody remember car phones? <laughs> Packtail cellular and all that stuff. And uh, it was the Tuesday after Easter and I was shaking like a leaf. And I went into his office, which is now my office, and I said, I don't know how to say this, Pastor, but I've got to step down. God is calling me out. And we, we had a special time. I'll never forget it. And I felt like I was dying. This is the God's honest truth. I walked out of his office and our sweet secretary, Gloria Grant Green, had one of those pink, while you were out, phone messages from a guy I had never met, George Waterman, with World Servants, needed me to call him. This is the, he called while I'm in the meeting. I call him. He leads about 2,000 kids on mission trips all over the country, mostly in Mexico, through a ministry called World Servants. And he needed me to speak for six weeks in the summer. Dude, I thought that was going to bring much more excitement. <laughs> That's on Tuesday. Listen, by Friday that week, Candace can vouch for this. My whole summer was filled to capacity. My whole, listen, hold on. No website. I didn't have a business card. Listen to me. I did not make one call, not one, nobody. And do you know what happened? It ruined me. And I've been welcoming liminal seasons most of my life. And y'all know what's come out of me. Candace said, 2020 and pandemics, Chuck Ramsey, you were made for this. You know why I'm made for this? Because I have seen the faithfulness of a supernatural, miraculous God who keeps all of his promises and he never lets his children down, ever. I could go on. You know, I mentioned that mission trip last week. I'm... I'm trying to sell all these North Atlanta gated community, golf club, BMW driving, spoiled Christian brats to go on a mission trip with me to Philadelphia. And their, their heartbeats like, uh, yeah. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't. You know what I did? I went and got a homeless person one Wednesday afternoon to come speak to our youth group. I got in my little Jeep Samurai. I drove downtown praying, God, lead me to someone. I picked up a guy named Curtis. I said, if you'll come speak for us, I'll buy your dinner at, at a Ryan's Steakhouse. That afternoon, we went and I had the youth workers meet us. Came in and he spoke. And I interviewed him. And he told stories about growing up. What's the most, what's the... What's the most unforgettable day of your life? He said, I'm sitting with me and Evander Holyfield and another friend of ours, and we're on the curb, and our we hear this gunshot go off, and our friend just fell over. And he goes on and on and on and tells us, and he tells us about why he's homeless. He said, I started doing crack. And he told us the first time he did crack, and one of the kids asked, how long was it before you wanted it or felt like you needed it again? He said, as soon as I did it, I was willing to do whatever I had to do to get it. He shared for about 45 minutes. Where are Josh Hames? Are you here? You remember that? His name was Curtis. And at the end of that, we thanked Curtis. We prayed for him. And I said, all right, now, how many of you want to go to Philadelphia and minister to people who are growing up like Curtis grew up? And all of a sudden... You're just going to have to tell my mom and dad, Pastor Chuck. You're going to have to talk them into it. And I think about these seasons that we have been so protected, brothers and sisters, so risk-averse, so if it's going to require a journey, if it's going to, ah, 
And let me remind you, we worship a Jesus king who had no place to lay his head. When he sent out his disciples, he told them, don't take a sleeping bag or a lunchbox with you. I'm going to force you to love and connect with the people. And as they went out, hello, uh, 2021, as they went out to minister in an occupied land with a tyrannical Roman emperor and a stodgy, elitist religious class of Pharisees and Sadducees that were a whole bunch of God bless you people. They were like politicians who just didn't want to lose their position regardless of whether the Messiah was, had come or not. The disciples at that time looked a lot like the Ndimbu tribe boys in their jungle experience. And here we are, brothers and sisters, in a similar season. Now, I'm not going to hype or manipulate Neither am I going to ignore. We, if you know history, we are walking down a dangerous road as a culture. I'm not here to sensationalize it, hype it up. It is what it is. If you know anything about European history, less than 100 years, history seems to be repeating itself. I'm not going to hype it, but we'd be foolish to ignore it. And it reminds me of what we see in the book of Acts. Now, I'm going to run quickly through a couple of scriptures, and then we're going to summarize. We're going to button up what we believe the Lord is saying to us. First, it starts in Acts chapter 1. Jesus had been crucified, resurrected, and listen, he's now been with the disciples in his resurrected state for about six weeks. We're now about 40, 42, 43 days after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And verse 4 says this, thank you. Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel, the disciples are saying, hey, now, are we going to get the White House again? Is, are, are you going to take over? That's their question. Are you going to now reveal who really has the power? And Jesus says this, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Somebody say witnesses. Come on, somebody say witnesses. We're going to come back to that next week. Drill down right there. And after they say, oh, it's now the time, Jesus said, no, I'm not going to reveal my power. I've already done that on the cross. I'm going to put my power now in you, and you are going to be my witnesses. And do you know what the next thing that happens is? Two angels, Jesus ascends, he literally right before their eyes goes to heaven. And two angels and the disciples are caught up going. And two angels go, excuse me, guys, are you here? You can't stand here. Get after it. And they got after it. The very next chapter. Verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, communitas, in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Say that with me again. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. What Jesus said would happen, it happens And then Peter, who six weeks earlier denied, he didn't have the courage. He wouldn't embrace the risky moment and stand up and say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. I was one of his thoughts. He denies him. And then we see in verse, verses five through what, 30 something, Peter's preaching 
And he calls them out. Verse 36, he begins to wrap up that sermon. And he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, the guy who six weeks ago couldn't stand up and admit he knew Jesus now has received power to be a witness. And he calls them out. And he said, and the Bible says, when they heard this, they were Holy Spirit conviction, cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, here's what you need to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, the gift, the power of the Spirit to be witnesses is for you, your children, and your children's children, all who are far off, for all, the Lord, all whom the Lord your God will call. With many other words, I love that, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41 says this, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, now here's the picture of the New Testament church. Everybody look right here. I know this is repeat for many of you. There's 28 books in the chapter, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. In 27 of them, they were in a prayer meeting, on their way to a prayer meeting, or on their way home after a prayer meeting. That's why it's called the book of Acts and not doctrine or the book of thoughts or the book of conservative ideologies. It's called the book of Acts because they receive power to be effective witnesses. Verse 42, and here's the church. They devoted themselves, these four things, the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, that's koinonia, we'll talk about it next week. Not good morning, God bless you, how you doing? Real koinonia communitas. To the breaking of bread, they ate together and they took communion regularly together. And to, come on, and to, and verse 43. Oh, Lord, give us a picture of this calling and the potential we have. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, communitas, and had everything in common. All right, are y'all with me? I'm about to get revved up up in here, and I'm trying to hold myself and not get there before I get there, but hear me. So what happens? Now we start seeing the evidence of the disciples' transformation. They've received the power of the Spirit, as Jesus promised. The very next chapter, Peter and John are going into the temple, something they've done forever. And they see this man who was born handicapped, physically limited. And he was over 40 years old and he had never walked. And he asked them, Peter and John, for money. And they said, silver and gold, we don't have. If we give you money, you're gonna still have to keep coming back here every day and that's not what you need. But we have, what we have, we give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible said, because he had power and faith, courage, risk, willing to embrace liminality, Peter or John, one of them went over and took him by the hand and said, I'm not going to just preach to you. I'm going to activate my faith and I'm going to get on this liminal moment with you and we're going to experience communitas. And as he took him by the hand, the crippled man who had never walked a day in his life stood up and started jumping and dancing around the temple. Verses 9 through 11 in Acts 3, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and How many of you love to see American culture filled with wonder and amazement at what our God can still do? 
Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people, I love this word. This is a new word for me in prayer. They were astonished. Hear me, brothers and sisters. God is good at being God. All we need right now is for God to be God and God's church to be God's church. He's, he's, he's cheering us on that he might be able to astonish the globe one more time with the beauty and the power of the New Testament church. All the people were astonished. I have a vision. To God be the glory. Brothers and sisters, I'm not hyping you up. I didn't need to go find something to falsely encourage you. But if you will be the church... We're about to come into a season of the 60s and the 70s where the Jesus movement, they saw hippies and prostitutes and drug dealers running to the church. And one of them happened in this city downtown off of 75 when Mount Perrin Central experienced the revival that has never allowed them to be the same church. And many of those people are now in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. We're getting ready. I prophesy it. I feel the Holy Spirit in here. Listen. People are going to begin running to a church that has the real power and love of God. Not a church, playing church. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Lord. Acts 4. I'm not, we're not going through all 28 chapters, I promise. The priests... The priest, God bless you. It's my profession to be the priest. Just sick of religious, empty, just ugh. The priests in the cabin of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Back up. Look at verse 3. Persecution, they were seized. Peter and John put in jail. Liminal moment. But many who heard the message believed. God, give us a day, not of addition, but of multiplication. Skip down verse 13. When they saw the, you know what they did between verses 4 and verse 13? They said, all right, here's what we're going to do. This is so political. The religious leader said, all right, we're going to let you out, but no more of this. And they, they said, they, they couldn't really punish them because the media the popular opinion was, you can't punish them. God just healed a 40-some-year-old 40 40 man. And the people, so the religious people tried to play political games and intimidate them and said, look, all right, we're going to let you out, and you are lucky. But no more of this teaching in the name of Jesus. How many of you know Peter? He either got filled with the Holy Spirit or he didn't. The evidence is he got filled with the Holy Spirit. So what happened when they, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Do you know what that Greek word is? Idiotates. <laughs> Ever how your Greek pronounces it. it? Says, when they saw, they were idiots. How many of you would rather be an idiot for Jesus than a genius for popular culture? Y'all don't mean it. Some of y'all do. We mean that. We're getting ready to be dangerous to this old dark world. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I'm, I'm skipping over so many preaching points. I just pray, Lord, help us get it. Help us get it. We saw they were like idiots, bunch of hillbillies. But they had been with Jesus. Verse 18. 
Then they called him in again and commanded them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we got something in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus told us. We would be witnesses. And now he says, we cannot help. How many of you, oh, how many of you want a, 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 a touch, a power, a connection with God? You can't help. You can't help but being used by God. It says, we cannot help speak. 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. The media is not going to report it. We're going to go back and tell you. Well, here's what's really going on. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth. Get ready for some stuff. He starts quoting from the book of Psalms and the prophets. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea. And it, that's a good place to start. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? Why do they and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of this earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now what are we to do, brothers and sisters? We're to do what they did in verse 29. Now Lord, consider their threats and protect us from any danger. That's not what he said. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, somebody say, after they prayed. Oh, I got some hillbilly country Virginia coming up in me. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. How many of you just say, bring it on, Lord? We want all of that right here in this place. Hallelujah. All right, now, I, I don't... I'm going to talk about the cross next week. Be here. We believers have not counted the cost. This is next week. We, we're not ready to die. And we don't make good believers as a result. If you haven't discovered a reason worth dying for, I can't remember, it might have been MLK Jr. If you haven't discovered a reason to die for, you're not living. Now, I'm counting the cost. You think I show up here and we go live on Facebook and I'm not aware of what could happen? I'm aware. And again, I'm not sensationalizing anything, but let me tell you something. In Acts chapter 12, it said this. It says, Peter had been put in prison, comma, but the church was earnestly praying. And you know the rest of the story. Earthquake came. How many of you know, in the book of Acts, there's a whole lot of supernatural earth, wind, and fire stuff happening. Um, a, a violent wind from heaven sounded like. The, this is not the first earthquake that got a praising, spirit-filled person out of jail. Hear me. I told you back in December, we don't know from week to week what's going to happen. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a 100% conspiracy theorist. <laughs> this world, the Bible says, Satan holds the whole world under his sway. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a cuckoo, but hear this. I have counted the cost. We've said we're not shutting down. If they tell us we have to shut down, we are not shutting down. Hear me. Hold on. Listen. I'm not going to pick a fight with anybody, and I'm not going to preach some conservative, right-wing, unloving gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel in a loving way 
But if they try to take away our rights, Pastor Chuck might be in jail. And if Pastor Chuck is in jail, I'm trying, why do I preach like this? Because if I am in jail, I want you to be earnestly praying. Not for me, but for the church. Are y'all out there this morning? Let the army of God rise up. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Let me ask you to be seated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to list. So what are we to conclude from all this? Five things. Number one, we don't have to have the White House to build the kingdom. Number two, I wish somebody would say amen. amen. Number two, we do have to have power to be his witnesses. Everybody in this place, say, Holy Spirit, fall on me. Come on. Ron Canoli's also, if you can use anything, Lord, please use me. Number three, we get the power when we are doing what he told us to do. Hear me. If we'll be on mission to make disciples, we get the protection. If we're hiding away, concerned more about lesser things, politics, economy, and not the kingdom, there won't be protection. Number four, when we get the power, we will see everything differently and we are unstoppable. How many of you know it's still true? Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not, I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against me. How many of y'all believe that's still true? Come on, how many of you believe it? A whole lot. Woo! Number five, then everyone will be filled with awe, astonished. Everybody say that. That's a buzzword for us. That's just a word in the prophetic realm. God's getting ready to do something, not only in this church, but in a lot of them. He's getting ready to astonish the nations. Everyone would be filled with awe, astonished at what they see in the church. But let's button up the teaching now. I've got four more things right here. I'm just reading them. Number one, you need to understand liminal situations are vital to the church and society. We need what we're going through. Listen to me. When the conditions are perfect, for Christians to be Christians, they seldom live like Christians. Liminal situations are vital. The book of Acts, they need, the church wouldn't have prayed earnestly if their leader hadn't been put in jail. Paul wouldn't have given us the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, had he not been put in jail. How many of you are thankful he got put in jail and we got that great doctrine? <laughs> the book of Revelations wouldn't be here if John the Revelator hadn't been sentenced to a lonely island all by himself. How many of you are glad John got sentenced to the Isle of Patmos? Number two, Liminal situations force communitas. If you, listen, none of us are perfectly functional. We're all broken. We need each other. If you try and go alone, Mr. Lone Ranger, Desperado, you won't make it. We need each other. Number three, we must focus on the mission of making disciples. Pastor Chuck, is getting, this thing is getting ready to be made real simple. It's about making disciples. And some of you are going, are you no longer a highly informed voter? No, I'm really highly informed. Seriously, and I'm not ignoring politically, and I'm not going to be an irresponsible, unbiblical citizen. 
but I'm most focused on the kingdom, not the kingdom. I'm highly informed, and that's why I want to be highly filled with the Spirit so I can pray at what I see happening. But we must focus on the mission. You know what? Let me just say this. The overwhelming majority of this people of people in this room, you love the Lord, but you have no idea how much capacity you have because you've never been fully stretched. Some of you have never walked in and told Pastor Mine, I'm stepping down. Because you've lived your life going, well, 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 that's, that's irresponsible. irresponsible. Yes, yes, it, it is. is. From, From a natural, natural standpoint. God is stretching our faith. And it's the only way to get big faith. Fourthly and lastly, focusing on survival and self-preservation is a sure way for us to die. Getting out after the mission, look at me. They can say whatever they want about who gets to run in the female 400 meter high hurdle in high school. They can say whatever they want about all of the new executive orders, but people are created with a deep hunger to know God and they will never be fully satisfied until they know God. And if the church will be the church, God will start sending people to the church because they can find him. Are y'all out there? Oh Lord. I got four more things. I'm closing right here, I promise. Hear me. I love you, Restoration Church. Candace and I, I've told you more than once, and I'll say it again, I've never been more convinced than I am right now. This is my last ministry assignment. I am all in 100%. We could have stayed living over in South Forsyth. That's not how I do it. I don't show up and preach on Sunday and let somebody else do the stuff. I'm a pastor, a shepherd. I love you. I love this church. And it's not because I don't get opportunities to go to other churches. This is my calling. This is it. Number two, let's build the kingdom and commit to do it by making disciples. We're not here to build a crowd. We're not being distracted by politics or anything else. It's not about me. It's not about my family. It's about making disciples. Number three, I, as a result of that commitment, I am going to teach the word to the best of my ability. You won't hear pop psychology, cultural politics, you're going to hear the word. I may not be the most polished preacher you ever hear and probably won't, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna come prepared, prayed up, and I'm, I'm gonna have passion. You may not wanna sit on these first couple rows. I, I'm, I, I can't, if we play checkers, I hope you lose. It, I, the, only way to, the only way I know to do it is with all my heart. I don't have a second gear. I just, I go in overdrive. It's all I know. Lastly, now I'm calling all of you to go all in. Help us build the most sincere, loving, Jesus-exalting church any of us have ever seen. A church that is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. Come on, stand to your feet. Hallelujah. I, <clears throat> may we be, may, may we be so full of the love of God that everybody that comes through these doors, they know they are sincerely loved cared for no matter what skin color socioeconomic 
category they come from. Educated, uneducated. 28-year-old single mom, 72-year-old grandmother. May we decide right now we are going to love, 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 love everybody God sends to us. praying church that worships and is open to the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm about, I could cry for an hour right now what I feel in me. As many of us have never realized our full capacity, the overwhelming majority in this room have never been in an Acts church have never been in a fully functioning, high-capacity New Testament church. May this be the first one, in Jesus' name, for his glory. Come on now. If you're hungry for the Lord, and you just, you want to say, okay, you know, Pastor Chuck, what can I do? Take care of your corner of the world. When you leave this morning, you're going to see a new sign and we're getting ready to get them mounted. Oh, is this it right here? Thank you. Perfect. It says this. I want you to know when you leave this place, you are loved by him, by me, and by us. Don't anybody in this room think, but Pastor Chuck, you don't know me. I wish I did. And I hope to get to know you because you're going to find out I truly love you. But most importantly, I'm not trying to get you connected to me. That's the cult of personality. I'm trying to get you connected to him. You are loved. Number two, you are called. You're not called to do my job. I'm not called. But in your corner of the world, you are equipped. You are equipped. You are called. And your story of what you've been through has prepared you to be effective in that area where you are called. How many of you believe that right now? <laughs> Hallelujah. And I want you to know when you leave every Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever you leave, you are now entering the mission field. What's getting ready to happen is what happens in these four walls when we get together is going to be electric, amazing, heavenly. And it's going to transform us that when we go out there, you are going to beg people, you got to know my Jesus. You, you, do you go to church? Hear me, brothers, since I'm already seeing it at Kroger. I'm seeing it at Starbucks. I'm seeing it at the dry cleaners. Everybody's shook. There's not a lot of stability. Nobody likes the majority of people that these executive orders have pleased is about that mean everybody shook. Let everything be shaken that can't be shaken because we have a, a kingdom that can never be shaken. Listen, God's getting ready to use you in the most unusual places. Get ready to understand you are loved so you, you can love. You are called, and you're about to enter the mission field. And we're getting ready to see. Acts chapter 17, there's a verse that says about the disciples. And they're, they're going in and reporting into the Sanhedrin. They go, these men who have turned the world upside down have now come here. How many of you want to be the men and women who turned the world right side up? Get ready, North Atlanta. Get ready. We praise you, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these hungry hearts. You never disappoint hungry hearts. You never disappoint or delay desperate hearts. You're pouring through us because our hearts are hungry. We're in a liminal season that's that's forcing us to get linked up with other people that share the same spiritual virtues. May we be a people of risk, a people of courage,
a people of faith who are ready for the journey, whatever it calls for, in the name of Jesus. And we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Even if we don't know what it means, we open ourselves, avail ourselves to more of you. Would you just hold your hands? Come on, if you can mean it and say it sincerely. Would you just say, Lord, in my corner of the world, I need your spirit, so fill me, Lord. Make me a better husband, better mother, better father, better son, better student, better employee. Give us faith, Lord. Give us faith. Thank you for this season that we're in. Thank you, Father, that you are faithful. Thank you that you are building your church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody just love the Lord so much you just feel crazy? Come on, we praise you, Lord, for your word. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Don't miss next week. Pray for us. We, we have a lot of decisions coming up. I love family and communitas. It's probably the greatest thing is keeping us from adding another service right now. We're, we're going to do everything we can as God sends people to make sure we're connected with one another. And there are events even next, the women's ministry event. Hear me. The ministry event this Saturday for women, the mission statement for the women's ministry is to facilitate and foster relationships that allow for connectivity, that brings spiritual maturity. This isn't a who has the freshest manicure, who's got the newest outfit. Ah! That's not what our women's ministry is going to be about. They're going to get real communitas, loving each other. I think it's February 19th. There's another, uh, we're kicking back off our Young Married Fellowship. And I know a bunch of y'all in your 40s like, am I young married? No, you're not, but we love you. Um, if you have a, chill, a child, elementary school or younger, even if it's your youngest child, you can come. But we want to help get people connected because we need each other in this season. Amen. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, lifting up his countenance on you and giving you peace. Say, I receive it. God bless you. Tell somebody next to him, I feel better already. You're going to have a great week. Go change the world. Light in the darkness. City on a hill.